Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your word once again together. Um, Lord, we need you. We need you desperately, more than we know. Lord, we are so prone. I am so prone to just depend on the strength of my flesh and be blind to it. Lord, we just ask that you'd open our eyes spiritually, that we would see and that we would hear and that you would give us strength to trust you. Teach us, Lord, how to walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, to put our eyes fully on Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, um, Matthew 26, we left off last week um, in, well, we're going to pick up in verse 57 this morning, but we left off last week with Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Gethsemane is just on the opposite side. It's on the eastern slope there of, so Jerusalem's in the middle and it kind of goes down, goes up, just a little, little dip and up and you're right there in Gethsemane on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And so, um, Judas comes out in the middle of the night with a, with a band of people, with soldiers, and they have clubs and swords and all that stuff, and he comes to betray Jesus. And leading up to his arrest that evening, Jesus told his disciples in verse 31 of chapter 26, you will all fall away because of me. You will all fall away because of me this night. And if you remember, Peter, upon hearing this, he, he, he once again um, knows that Jesus got it wrong, and he tells them, hey, uh, though they're all going to fall away from you, I will never, I, I, I will never fall away from you. So Peter's pretty confident there. And Jesus immediately, as he often does, turns to Peter, and in verse 34, tells him the truth about what Peter doesn't know about himself. It says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That's what's actually going to happen, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter then says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. No, Jesus, you're wrong again. And so Peter declares his unwavering devotion and love to the Lord, and no doubt he is absolutely 100% sincere. How many of us love the Lord? And we go, you know what, if this happens, then I know that in that circumstance, I'm going to do this. I've already pre-thought it out. I'm good. And this is what Peter did. I'm going to even die for you, Lord. And then Jesus and the disciples make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're, they're making their way there. And then Jesus just tells his disciples to wait while he prays. So he sets the 12 down, or the 11 at that point. And then he takes three with him, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and when he takes Peter, James, and John, he tells them, he takes them a little further, and he tells them, my spirit is overwhelmed even unto death. And so he's pouring out the situation uh, with his soul to them. And then he tells them, watch and pray with me. Come watch and pray with me. And Jesus enters into prayer. And we saw last week that while Jesus prayed, those three future leaders of the church, the rock of the church that would be built upon, you know, we know it's the Lord, but he would invest in them. They were prayer warriors. They stayed up. They fought through. They resisted. They were strong. 
Is that what happened? What, is your, what does your Bible say? They what? They fell asleep. Can anyone relate? Yeah. And Jesus wakes them up and says to them, hey, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That's an important verse to underline there in verse 41. Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. Why? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. Know that about yourself. Write it down about yourself. Your spirit might be willing, but your flesh is what? Weak. Weak. And if you remember the reason why they, they scattered and left Jesus, the reason wasn't that they didn't have good intentions. It wasn't that they didn't love him, but we're going to find there's a limitation to their love. It wasn't because they weren't devoted. It wasn't because they didn't show up to every Bible study that Jesus had. They weren't following around, listening to him. It wasn't because of all that. It's that although our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. And instead of engaging in the spirit and being strengthened in the spirit that night, being empowered by the spirit, as Jesus was when he went to pray, Peter and the guys fell asleep. We know that they were overwhelmed with much sorrow, so there was an emotional component to it. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. He went to prayer. They were overwhelmed with sorrow. They went to sleep. And Jesus saw that in them, that propensity towards giving into the flesh. And he warned them about it, and he called them to engage with him in prayer, but they did not. And when the time of trial would come, very shortly what happens when the soldiers come with, with clubs and swords in the garden, Judas is betraying, and Jesus says, I am, and they all fall down. And, and Peter says, hey, or whoever it was around them says, should, should we attack now? And Jesus didn't give them the command to attack. They went, he went, Peter went ahead and attacked anyways, and he takes the sword out and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And when he cuts off his ear, Jesus turns to Peter and says, put away your sword. What are you doing, Peter? Peter, having woken from his slumber, having not prayed, having not been ready, instead of being spiritually minded in this situation, he was carnally minded. He was acting in the flesh. And Peter struggled with this. How many of us struggle with this? We make dumb decisions. Anyone else besides me? And just lower the volume, John, a little bit. That would take care of it. In one moment, you'd find Peter declaring something from the Spirit that only the Father could reveal to him. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Man, there's no way you can come to that conclusion in your flesh. That has to be God showing you who he is. He gave you revelation there. And then in the next verse, a couple verses there, Jesus then says, okay, yeah, I'm the Son of God. You got that. Now I'm headed to the cross. And Peter goes, no. You're not headed to the cross. You're wrong again, Lord. 
And Jesus turns to him in the next moment and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but things of men. It might have been reversed there. One moment, Peter is in spirit. The next moment, he is being manipulated and influenced in his flesh by Satan with the greatest of intentions, by the way, to preserve Jesus. Anybody relate? And instead of relying upon the sword of the Spirit that night, he pulls out the sword made of steel, the sword of the flesh. Peter relied upon the wrong sword. And I have to imagine at that point when Jesus turns to him and says, hey, put away your sword. Peter's like, what? I thought the kingdom's happening now. This is... It's time. It's time to get rid of these guys and the Romans. It's, this is it, right? Jesus had been telling them over and over and over what was going to happen, but he would not listen. He could not listen. He was listening, not with spiritual ears, but with ears of flesh. And this is why Jesus says in Revelation, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about you have these. Saying, are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Or are you discerning what I'm saying through the flesh and misinterpreting it? He didn't know what God had planned. Well, he knew, but he didn't. And this is where we can really get discouraged with God, isn't it? Anyone else? When you think God is supposed to do something and all of a sudden he's not, and it's not going the way you want it to. When that happens, the problem is not God, it's us. But Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful to Peter. Is he not? Isn't that great? Do you know the Lord's faithful with you? Even in our Peter high, Peter low moments, anybody else can relate? The Lord is faithful. He is our great shepherd. He will come grab us. He will get us. He will wake us up. He will speak to us. He'll tell us what's going to happen. We do it anyways. And then he comes and gets us and cleans us up and restores us. And you're going to see shortly that Peter's going to be, you know, he denies Jesus three times. And then Peter asks, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And by the way, in the Greek, those are different words. And we'll get into that. But Peter did not know how ruled by the flesh he was. Jesus saw it. And he bought him anyways, and he cleaned him up. Amen. And Jesus tells Peter, after telling him to put away his sword, that the reason that he's allowing all this is to happen that, that is that so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. God has a plan, and his plan was Jesus going to the cross. That was not Peter's plan. That's in verses 56 and 57. And Jesus had been telling them all along, but he was not listening. And so exactly what Zechariah had prophesied many years before, they all fled. They all fled. This is where we pick up in verse 57. Jesus has been arrested. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes 
and the elders had gathered. Now, what Matthew's account doesn't tell us, by the way, and, and by the way, um, you don't get the fullness of this night of Jesus' trial and crucifixion from one gospel. You get them from all four. And that all triangulates and gives you the fullness and the timeline and the discussions and the various things were said at various times. So Matthew's not necessarily getting into the details of all the trials at this point. He's kind of tracking with Peter. You're going to follow this. He's, He's more focused on Peter and Judas and how Jesus reacts to them. That seems to be Matthew's focus, whereas John will get into the exact details because he was a a firsthand account there. He was there with Peter in there. Um, But what Matthew's account doesn't tell us is that before Jesus goes to Caiaphas, so this is late at night, early in the morning, one, one to four in the morning, somewhere really early in the morning, is that Jesus is sent before he goes to Caiaphas's house. Matthew just says he goes to Caiaphas, the high priest's house. But what actually John tells us is that before that happens, he goes to Annas's house, A-N-N-A-S. He goes to his house. And Annas was the former high priest. He was kind of like the patriarch of a family, and Caiaphas is his son-in-law. And he would have four other sons that would go on to be high priests. And so it was kind of like a dynasty family there. Um, and so what happened is he was removed by Pontius Pilate's previous, his predecessor, is that the person before? He removed Annas from that position, and Caiaphas took over. And so uh, Annas was removed by power by the Romans, and Caiaphas took his place. And although Annas was removed by Rome, he still had considerable political power. Although Rome took him down, the people still looked to him for leadership. Does that make sense? So it went to him first in the night, and he does the whole ridicule thing and, and tries to get Jesus to confess. And then immediately he sends him to his son-in-law Caiaphas's house, where it seems all the elders and everybody are gathered together. And this all takes place early in the morning before the sun is up, it seems. And in verse 58, it says, And Peter was following him at a distance. Underline that. As far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards, with the officers, to see the end. And so Jesus, having been arrested, the disciples scatter. Peter is now tracking back along following at a distance. And what we don't know from Matthew, but John's account in John 18, if you want to look that out, John 18, 15, uh, later on, it lets us know that someone else was with Peter. It was probably John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is tracking with Peter, and uh, they're both there. And it says that this disciple who was with Jesus was known by the high priest. And so John somehow was known by the family of the high priest. And so he has access to the courtyard there. He has access to what's going on. So John gets access and then tells the servant to let Peter in. They come into this courtyard and they're gathered there at night. And if you're reading this closely, we are seeing the weakness of Peter's flesh on display despite his spirit being willing. And this is something we're going to have to follow in through here. Write these down. I really worked hard to get a bunch of P words together. Um, I never do this, and Marcus isn't even here, so I'm just, why do I even do this? Marcus, if you're watching, here's my P words for you, bro. We're going to see Peter's weakness of his flesh on display 
even though his spirit was willing. And it began with pride. Write down pride. No, Lord. Pride starts with no, Lord. Correcting the Lord. Not listening to his word. Not saying yes, Lord, but no, Lord. It's not what you say. It's how I see it. It starts with no, Lord. What you say about me is not true. Actually, I'm devoted. It started with pride. Then pride led to prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. We saw Peter let his emotions get the better of him, and instead of persevering in prayer, he let his sorrow weigh his heart down, and he fell asleep. Prayerlessness. Pride, prayerlessness. And then from a lack of prayerlessness, we find that he had a lack of spiritual perception. Please bear with me as I'm... He didn't have the perception to understand which sword to use. He was perceiving that he should use the sword of the flesh instead of being the spirit. He lacked spiritual perception. And then, from a lack of spiritual perception, now we see proximity. The proximity between him and the Lord is becoming greater. There's a gap. He's no longer following Jesus by his side. Though all others betray you, leave you, I will be right there with you. Even if I have to die, I will be right by your side. He knows he said that. Jesus gets arrested. And now he's trying to live that out, but he's trying to live it out now from a distance. He knows he needs to be there, but he's not. He's not with him. There's a proximity in two ways. Distance from Jesus and a proximity closer to the world. Notice Peter is warming his hands by the enemy's fire, by the very officers who have arrested Jesus. He's warming his hands by their fire. This is what happens when we're prideful, we're prayerless, we lose perception, and then our proximity from Jesus begins to distance, we distance ourselves from him, and then we become closer with the world around us. That's what happens. You wonder how, Jesus, how Peter got to this moment? These are some clues. Don't read into it too deeply, but I just see some spiritual pictures there. Think about this in our walk with the Lord. Are you tighter than you've ever been? Are you walking tight with Jesus? Are you walking tight with Jesus? I'm not trying to throw shade on you or whatever. Are you tight with Jesus? Uh, if so, I want to rejoice with you. Praise God. Amen. And how many know that trials often bring us closer to Jesus? Difficult times bring us closer to the Lord. There's something about suffering and pain and hardship and loneliness and all these things that drive us. There's a special place with the Lord there. And Peter's going to go through a trial here. And he's going to be closer with the Lord. But the Lord hasn't left Peter. Peter's walking. He's distancing himself from the Lord. But the Lord is the great shepherd, as I've shared with you always. But how's, how's your tightness with the Lord? Tightness in prayer, tightness in the word, tightness in, oh, is that what you say? Yes, Lord. How's all that going? How's your decision making? 
Getting worldly wisdom? Getting spiritual wisdom. And so, here he is, in the courtyard, and we're going to see what happens. Verse 59, now the chief priests and the whole council, that is the council of elders, were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. In verse 59, we see that the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony. Uh, the whole council there is the Sanhedrin. It's the Supreme Court of Israel, the 70 elders of Israel. They all convened there. And there's, by the way, there's two, basically the trial of Jesus is divided into two things this night. One is the religious trial, which was under the Jews. And then there was the Roman trial under the Romans, the Gentile tribe uh, trial there. And so the whole council, the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders of Israel, the Supreme Court are gathered there with Caiaphas. And they, along with the chief priests, are uh, seeking false testimony against Jesus. Now, under the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 19.15, we know this in our, in our law, that you have to have two or more witnesses to bring about an accusation against someone, to, to have proof, Right? Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get two witnesses, but they can't get them. They keep saying, you know, they didn't memorize their lines. They got woke up in the morning. They're waking up in the morning going, hey, okay, it's time. And they forget to what, you know, everybody's conflicting. So they're, okay, well, let's get two more people in here. Two more, two more. Let's get, let's, can you guys please say the same thing? That's what they're looking for. And so finally, in verse 60, it says, they found none, though there were many witnesses came forward. So this is a sham trial. And then in verse 60, the other half, at last, two came forward. Verse 61, and they said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. That's a big deal. They're all gathered at the temple in Jerusalem where the presence of God was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies. You're going to destroy that? Whoa. And the, the high priest stood up, verse 62, and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men have testified against you? What these leaders were looking for were charges that brought the death penalty. That's what they're looking for. And under Jewish law, they would only be justified if, if he had done blasphemy, if he committed blasphemy. And destroying the temple of God was actual blasphemy there. And so that was a huge claim. And we have two witnesses here, false witnesses, who obviously take Jesus' word out of context. What happens? So in John 2, back, uh, verses 18 through 22, this is either a year before or two years before, in the very beginning, when Jesus is cleansing the temple the first time, he says, what sign will you show for us? Because he had just cleansed the temple. What sign will you show for us that you're able to do this? And Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That's what's going on. And, and the Jews then said, it has to has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And so they're thinking about the physical temple, but what we see is here, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. He's talking about his death and resurrection. They're taking him out of context. And so these two witnesses take the words of Jesus from 
a while back, and they're using it to accuse him of blasphemy when he's actually talking about the resurrection. You're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again. So the high priest stands up and says, have you no answer? Where's your answer to this? In verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. Man, how many of you want Jesus just to like unload? I mean, I know you know the end of the story, but I mean, just in your flesh. God, tell him what for. Come on. But he doesn't. Why not? Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was not there to declare his innocence, but to take our guilt upon him. He was absolutely innocent. But he was there to take the punishment for our sin upon himself. Like a lamb headed to the slaughter. Verse 63, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. And, and what the high priest is saying there when he says, I adjure you, he's putting him under oath. This is the Supreme Court of Israel. He's saying, I'm putting you under oath. You need to answer the question that we all want to know. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the promised one? Are you his son? Is that who you say you are? And obviously, they're not asking in faith. They're asking to catch him so they can kill him as they've always been. And Verse, 40, verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, or it is as you say. Jesus here declares plainly to the leadership of Israel, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say to the powers that be in Israel, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And what's coming for you is you are going to see me in my full position as king, in all my glory, seated at the right hand of power, at the right hand of my Father, and you were going to see me coming in glory. And that's speaking about judgment. You're coming for me, but I'm coming for you. And I know that's not the heart of the Lord because he says, forgive them, right? They know not what they do, but nevertheless, he warns them, this is what is coming your way for what you are doing to me. You're on the wrong side of this, guys. And so he warns them of the coming judgment. Terrifying. And you figure right there, after all they had seen, all the miracles they had seen, they had witnessed, people had said to him, the raising of the dead, Lazarus just that week, everything, the demon possessions being you know, exercised, all that kind of stuff, everything. You figure at that point they go, man, all the prophecies, everything points to you. You're him. Forgive us. Have mercy on us, King. 
Verse 65, then the high priest tore his robe and said, he has uttered blasphemy. No, he uttered the truth. And what further witnesses do we need? Because you don't have any. But you have now heard his blasphemy. What's your judgment, Supreme Court of Israel? And he answered, he deserves death. He deserves death. And this is Jesus. Jesus had said it would happen. With the parable of the wicked tenants that he just had spoken of a week before in Matthew 21. Listen, my father has a vineyard. We sent servants after servant after servant, and they killed them, and they killed them, they killed them. They took it as their own, the vineyard as their own. It was not their own. They were to be tenants, not owners. And then so finally God sent his son, and they killed him too, and God's going to come back and enact vengeance on them and then hand the kingdom, the vineyard, to those worthy of it. Just happening just as he says. Then verse 67, Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is that who struck you? Uh, Luke's account in 2264, they put something over his head, and they were hitting him while he couldn't see. And while this trial is all going on, and all this is happening, Matthew now cuts back to Peter, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what, you're, what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. For your accent betrays you. You're Galilean. I can hear it. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. Peter denied Jesus three times. Just as Jesus had said, remember, there's a regression here. There's a regression. And we need to take note of this as we're going to shut down here. Pay attention because this is going to help us out in our walk with the Lord. There's a regression. Again, pride leads to prayerlessness that leads to a lack of spiritual perception that leads to greater proximity between us and the Lord and closer proximity to us in the world. And we even see the regression in Peter's three denials of Jesus. Notice the first one. In the first denial, a servant girl said, hey, you're also with Jesus, the Galilean. And so as he is distanced from the Lord... The lost people around him recognizes that he's been with Jesus. He's one of them. Well, how did Peter respond at first? I don't know what you're talking about. He lies. He disassociates. I, I don't know what you mean. He plays dumb. How many of you, once on fire with Jesus, walking tight with Jesus, declaring his word, living holy in an unholy place because you know how much you've been forgiven. All of a sudden, this scenario is playing out and now you're in situations where the world knows what you say you are. But when it comes down to it, you're like, 
I don't know. I don't know, really. The distance is getting further. Well, what happens next? The second servant girl's talking about Peter to the bystanders who were there with Peter. She was pointing out that he was with Jesus, and this time it isn't, I don't know what you're talking about. It's what? I swear I don't know him. Who's he swearing to? He's a Jew. Who do you think he's swearing to? He's swearing to God. I swear by God that I don't know his son. I mean, you guys have had this schoolyard situation play out. Oh, yeah, well, I swear. This is serious. This is more serious than that, right? He's actually claiming by the one that he's in relationship that he doesn't know him. Swearing to the highest thing. And, that, and the Jews are supposed to take him seriously because now he has sworn to God. So from lying to an oath, going from bad to worse, I don't know what you're talking about to I swear I don't know him. Then a little while later, those bystanders hear Peter's northern accent and say to him, we're certain you're one of his. There's something about you that betrays him. And it's interesting. I know I'm reading into it just Play with me, but there's something about him and us that the world can't help but see, I think, at times. You know? He's in us. We're different. And when we're playing the fence like this and we're distanced and we're further away and we try to disassociate ourselves from who he is, the real truth, because it's going to risk something. It's going to risk my safety. It's going to risk my comfort. It's going to risk all these things. When we try to play that edge... The world calls us on it. Called it on Peter. You, you're absolutely, well, you're Galilean. Your speech betrays you. Well, how does he respond the third time? He's feeling the heat. Verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I don't know the man. From lying to a lying oath to cursing himself. May I be damned in lying. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, Peter, lest you enter into temptation. In verse 74, and immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He, done, he had done the opposite of what he said he would do. How do we get there? Anyone else? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, brothers and sisters. Spiritual pride, not listening to the Lord, thinking we know ourselves better than the Lord does, trusting our faithfulness as opposed to His. It's just easy to do. Prayerlessness and negligence, not being watchful in the situation we're in, not being prayerful, thinking we can handle it. 
being overcome by emotions, being swayed back and forth. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us as a church. Amen. I'm with you on this. Lack of spiritual perception. And the thing is, Peter doesn't even know he's making dumb decisions. Imagine if you have a church leadership that doesn't pray, isn't in the word, isn't listening to Jesus, and we're all agreeing with one another that these are the decisions we should be making. What happens? You pull out the wrong sword. What happens if that happens in your family or in your life? This is serious. Proximity. Peter began following Jesus at a distance. When we do that, by default, we're walking closer with the world. Where are you getting your warmth? This leads to greater and greater public denial of Jesus. That's my last P, public denial of Jesus. Public denial of Jesus. And from there, Peter went out and wept bitterly. It says, personal problems, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a last P for that. Emotionally distraught. Stuck. And this is where the enemy has total warfare on this church. And we live in powerlessness and defeatedness. This is how we deny Jesus. This is how the church loses its fire. This is how you lose your witness, how I lose my witness, how the world looks at us as being religious, but there's no power in it because we have all the great intentions, but we just have no power of the Spirit. It's not as if God hasn't died and put His Spirit in us and is drawing us and calling us and doing all those things. It's just, this is how it happens. It's a slow creep. For Peter, it was overnight, but it was a process One fleshly decision at a time. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, and herein lies the truth and love from our Lord to us. Watch and pray that you may not enter into the temptation. I'm going to just personally be reminding myself to be man, reliant on Jesus. More prayerful. You know, it's not like I can muster that up, but it's like, Lord, and this is what happened with Peter. He broke. God brought him to the place where he saw how dumb his flesh was, what God saw in him. Any of you been there? That's a good place to be if you don't do what Judas did. And here's the contrast. He goes and hangs himself. Peter wept bitterly, went to Galilee, where Jesus said he would come and get them. There's a lot there, but Paul said in Romans 7, 24 through 25, in closing, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, that's how we have victory over the flesh, through faith. How is that faith displayed? Trusting in him, asking, praying, reading, letting his spirit speak to our hearts and us just saying, yes, Lord, make it so. Do in me what I cannot do. Church, the answer is to walk by faith through Jesus Christ. Put your eyes on Jesus. 
minute by minute, day by day. It's weird how it always funnels down to that, isn't it? How many of you right now are like, shut up, I want to get out of here? Me too. I say that tongue in cheek. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're not more spiritual because we hang out longer. But you know what I'm saying? Do you feel that pull? I'm done. I'm done. Time to go flesh up. Be aware of it. Pray through that. Seek God with others through that. Push against it in your life. Grow spiritually. Let him grow you spiritually. He's done everything we need. Jesus says abide. So, Put your eyes upon Jesus, and he will give you what he promised and has provided for you as you seek the Spirit and not the flesh. Amen? Victory over the power of the flesh and power to live the life he has given you to live, which is according to his will. Lord God, we love you this morning. It is so refreshing to look and commiserate with Peter. Thank you, Lord, for putting him on display for us to see our dear brother who we can just relate with in our desire to follow you but our inability to do it. Oh, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness that you locked eyes with Peter when that rooster crowed, and he knew. And you went after him and restored him and put him into your service again, and you filled him with your spirit, and Peter was different. Lord, we ask for your grace that we'd be changed. We wouldn't be a churched people, but we'd be a changed people. And we ask, Lord, for you to forgive our sin, sin that we cannot change or do anything about, apart from your great and mighty mercy within us. Act upon us, Lord, because you are good, because you are merciful, because you are kind. Oh, God, this flesh is stupid. Thank you that you are a great and mighty and merciful Savior. We put our hope in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you all. Have a great week.